0: This is episode number three of Building Optimal Radio. I am Jared Gossett, your host. Today we're interviewing John Leggett of On Point Custom Homes, a design build, custom builder, and remodeler out of Houston, Texas. John's company won the 2017 Texas Custom Builder of the Year as well as the 2017 Houston Builder of the Year, which is saying a lot considering the sheer size of those markets. We dig into some of John's playbook. And you'll see quickly exactly why these guys won Builder of the Year. He has some great advice on running your business, implementing technology and systems to guard against mistakes, improving the customer experience, and more. I think you all will like it. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whichever one. This way you get notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Building Optimal, and Instagram, at Building Optimal. Send us your feedback there. Tell us what type of content you want to hear, and we'll make it happen for you. Enjoy. So, John, we have very similar backgrounds, both with master's in accounting and then a little stint in investment banking, far from the home building arena. Tell us a little bit about your journey to custom home building.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jared. I grew up in North Carolina, and uh, my dad actually was an airline pilot, so he had a lot of free time. When he was off and started remodeling a bunch of houses and eventually started building them. And then as I was going to college, I was doing a lot of commercial development of retail centers. So I kind of grew up around it and it used to drag me to the job sites, make me clean them. And I I mean, to be honest, I hated it so bad that I promised I would never go into that industry. (laughs) So after I got done at North Carolina, I went into investment banking, doing primarily like M&A stuff or a global energy company. So that's kind of how we ended up in Houston. And after doing that for about five years, you know, I just had the entrepreneurial bug. So we were buying and selling a lot of real estate on the side. You know, I got licensed as a uh, real estate broker in Texas and trying to help people with some investment properties and everything and just really wanted to go do something different. So I quit after I got a bonus after my fifth year and we ended up starting a company that did like incentive travel to sports and entertainment events. And from there, grew that company you know, ended up selling it to a partner and decided I wanted to go into building and uh, loved real estate. So we bought some land in inner city Houston and wrote checks out of the back of the truck and learned uh, how to develop and build here.
0: All right. Well, very cool. You guys talk a lot about being innovative. How do you use your prior experiences from your past life to innovate and specifically in what areas have you all pushed the envelope?
1: It's a great question. I mean, you know, a lot of people think of the building industry. I mean, they think of like just kind of like even how I started is there's a the builder working out of the back of the truck, just not very innovative. And we've always tried to take a different approach. And I mean, what we preach internally is like we have to stay ahead of the building curve. We were the first company to introduce like a four bedroom, three and a half bath patio home with a game room on a 2,500-square-foot lot. And it wasn't because we added a fourth floor like some guys were trying to do. We did it all in three. But it's innovation, not necessarily just in building science, but it's in design. It's implementing software inside of our uh, company as well. And, you know, the best business advice I got, you know, as you're starting this company... It's so basic, but most people don't take this, is that you've got to be easy to do business with. And a lot of that is whether it's utilizing software that could be easy for the client to work with you or for vendors to communicate with you, for the office to communicate back with the guys in the field. It it all kind of integrates into that. And innovation and technology, whether you like it or not, we have to adopt it and integrate it into our businesses. And we've always pushed on that. And even when we start getting ourselves, we think we're in a funk or something, we try to look at all of our processes and say, you know, what do we need to be implementing here? Where's something broken and what can we use to fix it? And what we found is a lot of times it's integrating new technology that's out there.
0: Yeah, I actually want to talk about that for a second. The the software and the systems that you guys use, you know, I hear a lot of builders talk about the brain damage and the learning curve that it takes to truly shift over to one of these systems and i think that scares a lot of people away for us personally we slayed around with a few in the past but i think that we probably didn't commit to and dedicate as much as we needed to to go ahead and make the true shift in integration for you guys what does that look like how have you kind of dissected that situation
1: we've been on and off systems. Is we've always been really early adopters of any technology, especially stuff that's geared into the building industry and all these whole house management systems. And what we found is, until you hit a certain volume and you're staffed accordingly, they're hard to fully integrate. And you know, like you know, your master builder groups. You know, we're part of one that actually chair with about 15 builders across the country, and we've had this argument slash conversation so many times. And very few of us have been able to successfully implement it as custom builders. I feel like until your volume is probably at 15 houses a year, it's really hard to make sense of implementing it because it does take time and dedication to it. What we usually recommend when we sit on the panels or we talk to other builders getting started out is utilize the stuff that's easy to implement to start. Don't try to tackle the big gorillas, we would call it. I mean, at some point you're going to need it because you're going to get to the point where you need something to manage these processes. But simple things like using DocuSign, cloud-based stuff, whether it's Google Drive or Dropbox, things like that to start making it easier to communicate either between you and clients or you and your guys and People in the office, people in the field, that's where we always recommend people start. Don't try to take on too much too early because a lot of these systems can be complicated, but it, and it can be daunting, and then all of a sudden
0: you end up dropping it halfway through a project and spending a lot of money on implementation you never use. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have a preference on Google Drive versus Dropbox, or do you utilize both? We're big Dropbox fans, so I think it's only
1: key if you're in. We all use Apple devices as far as in the field, whether it's iPads and iPhones. And we're on Microsoft Surfaces is what everybody's going to in the office for pcs and so forth and dropbox to us has been great on innovation and constantly improving their product and we feel like from a plug and play perspective even guys that don't use a lot of technology it is the absolute easiest to use i use google drive and some other things that you know some companies are affiliated with that like it dropbox is our favorite hands down
0: Do all your superintendents in the field have iPads or laptops or how do you equip them?
1: Yeah, so they're all on iPads with a keyboard as well. So, you know, what we're trying to do is speed up the building process for not just for us internally on inventory spec houses, but also we're trying to make it easier on our custom clients too, because we all know that where we lose customs is on selections and it's nobody's fault. It just happens. I mean, the process of building has become so daunting and so many selections through the process that you're constantly trying to get things signed off and What used to be you were picking from three packages for plumbing fixtures, light fixtures, and some colors is now turned into a thousand different selection points, possibly through a process, depending on how involved people want to be. So we've got them in the field on that now. So I mean, if somebody's there and decides they want the fireplace moved up six inches above finished floor instead of 12, we have them type it up right there, have the client sign off on it with a finger and save it down to selection. So that process is done. What used to be, you know, we would text back to the office, have somebody put it together, then send it out via DocuSign, which you rewind 10 years ago, that was great compared to that. But now it's become too slow. And I mean, everybody in the real estate industry here, we've entered the age of speed. So we all provide good service. You know, we all build good houses. We're all nice people, but how do we differentiate ourselves? And our idea is process and speed. So how quickly we respond to a customer, to a vendor, to each other is how we can
0: differentiate ourselves. And that ends up providing better service in the end. I have found the same in my experience as well, and I wanna jump back up a little higher level for a second. I think you just kinda touched on this, but let me ask you something a little different way. You guys won Texas Custom Build of the Year in 2017, which is my home state as well. I build in Austin, you're in Houston. The market literally has thousands of competitors in it, so it is no easy feat at all to win what you guys did. What do you all do differently from your competitors that would put you in a place to win such a big honor?
1: We've actually talked about this a lot internally since then. We always laughed when we would submit things. We would always lose to the guys in Austin because you guys have prettier landscapes than we do. (laughs) So we're like, man, we're never going to compete with a guy that's got a cliff view over the lake. I mean, we'll never win this award. And, um, It's our team and our process is what really differentiates us. And I mean, we were able to put out some amazing houses for people over the last couple of years that just grew based on just our team and process, you know, doing so well that people were coming to us for design and everything else. You know, we spend a lot of time on that because it just goes back to how we differentiate ourselves and what can we do in a business where it is highly competitive. Process we spend so much time on. And we constantly are trying to improve it because I feel like it gets harder every year. But that's definitely one of them. Innovative design, constantly getting our team out there, whether it's through building science or home tours, we find super important. Or when we travel to Orlando for the International Builder Show, we'll do the home tours. We'll split up some, take education sessions. Then we all get back. So we use Airbnb now. We all run a big house and stay together. We hang out. And everybody collaborates on ideas and what they saw that day, and it's fun. I mean, we have a great time doing it too. So process, I think, is the absolute most important. And then just staying innovative in design and trends because trends change so much quicker. I'll never forget my dad and some of his buddies and everything. Their argument always was every seven years, trends change. So if you built a house in seven years, you need to expect you're going in and updating things, that things are obsolete now i mean we think that is down to like a three to five year period like i remember when my wife and i built our house we moved in about like three to five years things don't look new anymore things i mean this trend is now out you need to put this in i mean it's crazy how fast things change so as companies you need to stay on top of that or otherwise your houses are going to look stale
0: the speed of life has just increased exponentially across i guess every dynamic probably it's
1: 100 percent right, and when we talk about speed and differentiation, what we preach is email is too slow. Email was so five years ago that if you're not text a client back quickly, and if you think how many texts you get now compared to emails, you know you need to be texting them back and responding quickly. And I mean, even the new generation coming up, they're going to expect the millennial generation. That you're going to respond quicker. We've really made a push, you know, to speed up any process we have in order to minimize the time we're taking out of people's day, so it's really made a difference.
0: You talked about, team as one of your differentiators and I completely agree with that in my experience that we're only as good as the people that we surround ourselves with and you've assembled a very large team for a custom home builder. Can we talk about that for a second? I'm just curious your hiring philosophies because I think that a new hire is either exponentially beneficial for your business or it'll be exponentially harmful and I've learned a lot of hard lessons over the years in that. I'm sure you have too. Can you talk about those hiring philosophies and what you look for in to your team?
1: We make it a big point to preach culture. So culture is really important to us. And no different than what you're saying, a lot of mistakes we've made is you find somebody who they've got a, a fantastic skill set, they interview well, and then they don't fit in culturally. And that's happened to us a couple of times. And there's nothing worse than putting somebody, especially into a smaller organization that's like that. You know, we're at about 15 people now, even injecting it in one person can spoil the whole bunch for us is the way we've always looked at it. You know, we've made that mistake in the past. So, I mean, put everybody through personality and disc tests. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever read Dave Ramsey, the way he had always hired people. So we make it a point before we bring somebody into that. We try to go to lunch with them. And then we even try to get if they're married, like a spouse out to a dinner with our spouses just to get to know them a little bit personally. Because you want the spouse bought into, whether it's the husband or wife. So we've really pushed hard to start doing that now as well And over the last few years. It makes a difference because I feel like if you hire somebody and you don't know their significant other and they don't know you, then they may not be bought in the same as the person you're bringing in. But you want it as a team effort. Hiring is one of those super difficult things and we all struggle with but uh we really tried to spend a little more time on the front end before we jump in with
0: somebody i guess is the way we would describe it now i think that's critically important do you guys have an in-house designer architect or do you guys just manage close affiliations
1: no everything we brought in house i guess three and a half four years ago now That's been a huge growth area for us. And I had a couple of buddies that had in-house architectural groups and they had pushed us to do it. And we, you know, we were a little hesitant at first, but since we've done it, it's made a huge difference. You definitely need the volume in order to make sense of it. But once you get there, we've invested highly in all the best technology as well. We were really frustrated with the guys we were working with. Unless we were willing to pay like astronomical amounts on a price per foot basis, which a client didn't want to do either to draw, then they just didn't have any technology. So I mean, we use Revit for everything, which most everybody on the commercial side uses, but very few guys on the residential side use. So we're able to take these houses. They're all drawn up. They're mocked up in 3D. We can twist them, turn them. We catch so many mistakes that we didn't never caught before in 2D. The clients love it, too, because on a custom side, I mean, they're able to see what they're getting before it's actually built for the most part. And I mean, we're able to then render and apply exterior materials for them and do a lot of stuff up front that kind of can mitigate the whole, oh, man, I didn't know it was going to look like this or you didn't describe it like that. So it's really made a difference for us. That's an area that we're getting ready to add our third per on our architectural team we see as an area we can continue to grow as our designs have gotten out there more we've got a lot of people coming to us that just want to draw and we just don't have the capacity to handle that so hopefully over the next couple of years we'll be able to continue to grow that team and start doing a lot more design for even things we aren't building
0: and you said you use revit for your 3d modeling
1: yeah so we draw in revit on everything and the licenses are expensive but i would tell anybody that's looking to do it is If you fast forward three to five years, if you don't make the move to 3D now, you're going to be behind. And if your architect's still drawing in 2D, then we'd love to sell against you. Let's put it that way, because anytime I can get somebody in here that's looking at going with an outside architect that draws in 2D or a builder that says we can sketch it for you or something, and they're not in 3D, we love it. We will hands down outsell them every time.
0: Wow. And does that help you guys with your estimates as well? Are you guys getting better estimates?
1: Absolutely, and I mean we're able to control a lot of the budgeting process. So we tell a client when they come in, is like, look, I know it's counter to everything you've ever heard, but we're going to have to talk about the budget before we talk about anything. And they're like, kind of, you can see some people are uncomfortable with it. It's like well, they want to negotiate that budget or whatever. And this process, is collaborative. If your budget, we can't meet it. We need to know now. So we don't want to draw because I don't want to put you in a bad situation later. You're at us. But we need to know what budget we're drawing to as well. So if we're in that process and you're getting off on something is starting to get prohibitively expensive or you want to introduce X, Y or Z, then it's our job in a design build process to kind of stop you, explain to you what's happening, that we're getting out of budget. It's your house. If you want to head that direction, we're absolutely fine with it. We want to do whatever you want, but we need to educate you through that process so you don't get to the end. There were so many times we would uh, partner with an outside architect, and they would draw an awesome house. We'd meet with the client up front, talk to them four or five years ago. They wanted to be at, let's call it, 200 a foot. We'd put them together with an architect. We'd be a little bit involved, but not 100% involved. And then he'd come back to us to bid, and it's at 280 a foot. Clients mad at us because we put them with the architect. They're mad at the architect that the architect was just doing everything they asked. So it wasn't necessarily their fault either. But there was no collaboration as far as like what it's going to cost in the end. And even when we tried to collaborate more, when it's just out of your control and not under your umbrella, it's just hard to do. So we've drawn, you know, probably in the last three years, I'd say 70, 60, 70 houses. There's been one that hasn't been built yet, if that tells you anything.
0: Wow. Now, will you guys do completely brand new custom designs for clients, or do you typically try to sell towards plans that can just be modified? No, 99% of what we're doing with customs is all going to be brand new plans
1: that have never been done before. Sometimes we'll get a custom client that loved a house and we'll do a deviation of it, but we try never to do like the same plan twice and you know everything's typically done from scratch i mean when you're drawing i mean as you know d- doing on inner city lots every square inch is used left to right nine times out of ten so in every lot in houston i mean we don't have zoning so we essentially zone through deed restrictions and setbacks and easements and all that stuff that affect us we are within inches of this inches of a height restriction so, I mean, every house has its own idiosyncrasies. It could be on the same block and be subject to two different things. So everything typically is going to be drawn uh, 100% new every time.
0: What are the biggest areas where you see builders are screwing up or mismanaging their businesses?
1: Inability to adapt and change is really hard. Our business changes fast. Every year there's better product out there. There's new technology to utilize. There's changes in your municipal whether it be on permits or things you've got to adopt on the energy code. And it's really getting your hands around that and just knowing that's part of the business. That's what we see a lot of it. We're just doing how you've always done it. I mean, which you hear a lot of guys like, why do you do it that way? Well, that's how we've always done it. And it doesn't work. And I mean, you've got to constantly look to innovate in this business. And, you know, we've done really well on down markets, selling even spec homes. But a lot of it is we put so much time in the design and partner and I are both really involved on the design more than everybody knows. You know, whether it's thinking through floor plans, moving things an inch here, how people live, you know, really trying to understand cool features to put in houses. I mean, our whole thing has always been to innovate and adopt, whether it's on energy efficiency or on technology is whatever is good that doesn't cost the client a ton of money and has a great payback. That's the way we've always looked at everything. So we'll do whatever the client wants, but some things are just expensive and they don't want to pay for them. Our idea is like, look, you know, on spray foam to the point where we got so economical and it's such good technology that. We went to a standard in every home. There's things like that that we feel like if you're not thinking ahead and running economics for the customer and showing them why it might be a tad more expensive, this is what makes sense, that you're not constantly changing and evolving. The second thing I would tell them, and you probably understand this with your background as well, is you got to understand the financial side of the business. And understand the budgeting and how everything correlates from banks, insurance, everything, and really understand your P&Ls and balance sheets. And most guys just don't. They're allowing outside accounting firms to help them at the end of the year, but they don't really have a good grasp of how everything correlates and works together. And it doesn't mean you've got to be a a financial guru, but you need to understand the business side of it because your margins, your markups are different. Your cost structure is going to be differently and how to really look at the big picture is what I see a lot of guys miss.
0: Absolutely. One thing I would add, going back to what you said earlier, talking about the 3D modeling and how that's helped your business. I think, at least in my experience, when something goes wrong or there's a mistake, it oftentimes goes back to perhaps poorly laid out specs in that one particular part of the project. And so being able to spend a little bit more time and even money during the pre-con phase Getting more detailed plans, 3D modeled plans, those sort of things, I think, pay off in spades. The biggest issues I've seen
1: some guys get into, with whether it be friends that are building houses with somebody else or other builders that are friends or poorly written specifications, I mean, that would be a great point. I mean, you know, spend time on your specifications because legally they're going to trump what's ever on the plans. The specifications need to be fully developed, fully vetted. Learn from your experiences or your mistakes or issues you've had in the past and make sure those specs every time you build another house should have another layer of detail on them. And they, you know, it's only going to benefit you and the client up front. because the client may be on one page or on another and they may read your specs now and say, Hey, I thought we were getting X. And you're like, No, 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 it was Y. You can fix that up front
0: as opposed to halfway through and it's too late. It's always much, much cheaper to fix it up front. Absolutely. John, if you would, give us three simple, actual improvements that most of us could implement in our business immediately to see payoffs.
1: One is, you know, utilize social media reviews, testimonials. It's a real basic concept that everybody, you know, says they do, but we're not the best at it always, but we try to push, you know, quarterly. Let's push out and ask for reviews and things, you know, whether it's on Google or that through their review process, Facebook, uh, house, you know, or you're doing video testimonials and stuff that you're going to put out on your website, really push for those. Is this a powerful item? I mean, you, the buzzword that, you know, and I talk to realtors a lot about this When I'm talking to them is UGC, which is user generated content. And that's what all your reviews are. And if I've got 30 reviews and you've got two, even if, you know, let's say 27 of mine are really good, three are okay. And you've got Let's say two really, really good ones. Likely, they're probably going to pick me still because there's more content out there and they get more comfortable over time. So, definitely work on your reviews and testimonials. It's really easy to do, and clients will do it for you. Ask vendors to help you with it as well that are good vendors for you. That's a great way. Two, I would say embrace technology, don't fight it embrace it slowly don't try to implement everything at once that's the big issue that we've seen with a lot of guys that all of a sudden you're going to start a business and they're going to get into this and hey we're going to do this this and that we're going to utilize this it's like see what works for your business and for your process and grow with it and then you know add things over time but if you're not using the cloud for plans and specs and files now so it's easily accessed anywhere that I would say that would be number two that I would immediately change to and make sure you've got everything out in the cloud immediately. Number three, work on your corporate culture from the get go and really think about how that looks three and five years out and what it means to you, whether it's from a charity aspect. I mean, we're big, big into that. My wife and I, you know, we've got a daughter who's 10, and like charities that we like to be involved with are always things that have to do with kids. Our company then follows that same rule of thumb. Think about it from a culture where it's charity, uh, you know, things you do with your employees to build morale, all that. Because as you grow, that becomes the foundation of your uh, company. I think it's one of our, you know, our process and our people have been, you know, two amazing things for us. And you know, I always tell pe- people if you want to remember two things and how to make your company successful and thrive in this business is
0: really simple: you pay less for land and more for people. I love that. I want to go back, though, to your first point about the reviews. There are a lot of different platforms out there. There's Google, there's Yelp, there's Howls. One of the debates that we've had in the past is you probably want to funnel clients to kind of pick one and try to funnel them to one just so that you get a little bit more consistency with a certain platform. I welcome your different opinion if you differ on that. But we talked about what's most important and where we try to funnel people to. What do you guys do? Facebook, Howes, and Google would be are probably the
1: three that we're going to push to. Facebook seems the easiest. Everybody's on there. They're logged in already. It makes it easier for them to give reviews. House is a little bit tougher, I feel like, as I mean, you got to go in, log in, and add the reviews. Same thing with Google. Unless they're logged in like a Gmail account, then it's a little bit more difficult. We found Facebook's the easiest. Yelp has some weird things. I mean, I think we even got some weird reviews on Yelp that, you know, even some clients went into ad reviews and like Yelp wouldn't publish them because it, said, hey, it was some weird stuff. So the whole platform is kind of dated anyways, in our opinion. But uh, Facebook, House, and Google would be the three. They make the biggest difference when you search. They show up at the top. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be the easiest for the clients and vendors to work with as well.
0: So one thing I'm wanting to do on these shows and these interviews is get some construction horror stories or a construction horror story from the guests. Because I think this is a business that universally provides plenty of sleepless nights for for all of us that are in it. And for better or worse, at least for me, it makes me feel better knowing I'm not the only guy out there that sometimes has those sleepless nights and those problems. And I think they also always yield great learning experiences. So I'd like to ask you to share with us one of your construction horror stories and what went wrong. And then what was the takeaway?
1: I'll share. It was like one of the worst as far as professional things in our lives. My partner and I both will tell you, still thinking about it, you get like the shakes doing it, but it uh, This was probably four years ago now and maybe even five, but we pre-sold two homes in the Houston's inner city and they were built 100% done, both ready to close, both are pre-sold, great clients. And we get the final surveys back and we think they're wrong. And we go back out there and look at it like, I know this can't be right. Had the survey done again, sent them back out there and the Houses aren't built over the building lines, but were built over the garage setbacks. And it had to do, it was like the perfect storm that the form survey was done with open forms instead of closed forms on the garages. The city right away in this street is a lot bigger. The lined up with all the old houses before they put these setbacks in. So all of a sudden we've got an issue that really nobody's called except me. And so we, it's one of those times in life where you get faced with It's a minor mistake in the big scheme of things. However, it's major. These people go to sell these houses in five years and somebody picks up on this. You pass the problem to them and you really created it. So we decided that we went to both homeowners, explained to them what happened. We need to go to the city and explain to them what happened and come clean with here's what the issue is. So it had to go to like the Houston Planning Commission at that point to essentially we had to go ask for a variance. And. Barances in Houston are only granted for hardship, and it's really in a hardship. This was us making a mistake. So we recreated some digital scenes on the street, photographs, did everything. We had to go meet with a lot of planning commission people to kind of explain what had happened. I had to go up in front of them, and I mean, you get this huge group of people in the audience as well, and then you got these 20 people in your industry that are just chewing down on you about how you could do this. And coupled with this, the mayor just passed a bunch of stuff where builders had been going rogue and doing just whatever they wanted to do and some things. And we're cracking down hard on the new setbacks and restrictions. And it was like the worst timing it could could have possibly been. I mean, in the end, we got the variance. And, you know, we talked to some of the people afterwards and they're like, you know, you guys approached it the right way. You were honest. You know, we knew it was a mistake, a small mistake. Had we thought you for one minute, did it on purpose or we had caught you doing it and you hadn't have told us, we'd have thrown everything at you. But at the end of the day, we got through it. But, you know, we changed But we, you know, like any mistake, you know, whether it's a big mistake like this or a small mistake, we changed a lot of our processes that this should not knock on wood happen again. But don't do a form survey with an open form on the garage, even though you're going to have to run back in it and wreck it afterwards. So we make them close the form surveys. Everybody has lasers out in the field now that they laser the forms, double-checking it themselves, so we don't just rely on that form survey. So, again, a lot of the process we've changed, and we get triple double check. We have usually three people to check every form now. But, yeah, it was one of the worst things, because, I mean, it was a couple million dollars in product that we could have been just stuck with, trying to figure out how the heck, what do you do with it at that point? So, that was a horror story, so just... Slow down, take your time, check your forms,
0: especially on these tight lots where every inch matters. I think that's a great story that you're sharing with us. To me, what that highlights is something that I preach a lot. In those situations, there are certain parts of the building process where if something did go wrong, the consequences are more grave. And when you are dealing with a slab or a frame, And let's specifically, you know, a slab and you could potentially you're getting your form surveys, you could potentially misplace it or whatever. The consequences would be extreme if you messed that up or they could be. And you were fortunate in that you got through it. But I think that when the consequences could be more extreme, that's when your measures to avoid that should be more extreme. So if you have to go build forms and then wreck them later, that may seem a little bit wasteful. But to me, I love what you guys are doing there because it's a great insurance policy, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, we couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean, and we had good processes in place that should have caught everything. But now we try to take it two and three steps further. That if you really think about it, what we do now maybe takes an extra fifteen minutes as opposed to before. What should have been adequate, but it's just added checks and balances. Because you're right. I mean, once the foundations in, I mean. It's a little hard to move it, so it's yeah. uh, definitely look up front on that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's definitely uh, was the,
0: one of the worst things in business for me. So you guys already won Texas Builder of the Year 2017. Where do you guys take it from here? What are your plans for 2018?
1: Yeah, but in a selfless play, we won Houston Builder for 17 as well. So uh, we get oh, nice. the holy grail of both. So, nice. Yeah, we we want to. Continue doing what we're doing. We've looked at possibly launching another brand to do some higher density development in Houston's inner city with some fun stuff. We bought a bunch of land in the inner city of Houston. We own all over, and uh, you know it will be higher density, more like 15 to 30 unit developments that will get shovel ready. Essentially, right now it's all covered land stuff. But when the market's good, we move it forward. But some fun stuff on the urban side that we'd love to do more of. We continue to you know, buy a lot of commercial and residential property around town in areas that are kind of up and coming that we would eventually develop in as well. And we've looked at other markets, but I mean, there's so much opportunity here in Houston for, for us that it really doesn't make sense to stretch ourselves so thin and go into another market right right now. So Our idea here is just to continue growing in the city of Houston, doing what we do best, which is, you know, we always say if you take our office right in Highland Village and you sweep five miles around it, you're going to hit every project we have but one. So, I mean, we just work in the inner city, and that's what we plan to continue to do. So, you know, I hate to say like everybody be like in a building industry is like in five years, we're going to grow 80 percent well market conditions and oil and gas is no different we're in a cyclical business so we all need to be cognizant of that and you're watching all the exterior things that could affect you on a macro level whether it's interest rates the local houston economy with oil and gas prices uh, or the global economy or even the u.s economy so we always hate it when people say hey we're going to grow 100 percent in five years i mean great maybe you do but we just look to do things that are opportunistic and if something presents itself then uh, we'll take advantage of it
0: tell us where we find you on the web or social media
1: you can find us online on our obviously on our website at OnPointCustomHomes.com. feel free to please follow us on facebook or instagram we try to post cool stuff five to six times a week whether it's neat pictures of houses that we're working on or just some stuff behind the scenes with our team uh definitely post some neat stuff from international builder show and then feel free to connect with me, like personally, John Leggett uh, on LinkedIn or even on point on LinkedIn as we do a bunch of stuff there too. And uh, yeah, so look forward to hopefully seeing some uh, new connections out there to share some of our stuff with.
0: John, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you. Good meeting you.